Well, thank you to you, Pastor Tom, and for our instrumentalists and our vocalists, uh, not for a performance, uh, but for leading, for leading our souls in worship this morning. Very grateful for that. These last three weeks have uh, been very hard for me to follow. I'm grateful for that, lifting our hearts to the Lord. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Let's bow in prayer. Oh God, how can we comprehend all of you? You far exceed all that we can think or ask or imagine, Lord. But oh God, we need you. Oh, we always come in need. But Lord, would you open our eyes to hear from you, Lord. May we not be distracted by the world. May we not be distracted by time. May we not be distracted of even our responsibilities. But Lord, may we hear from you and from you alone through your word alone. And Lord, in, in some sense, in a greater measure, may we, may we leave with a bigger picture of who you are and what you would have us know. That there would be uh, repentance even in our own hearts this morning, Lord, turning from any sin that we've held on to and, and clinging to you all the more tighter. Oh, Lord, be real to us. Oh, show us you, Lord. Show us you. Let us behold you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you open your Bible this morning, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This morning we'll be taking a step away from the book of Psalms. I trust that God is using the sermons in the Psalms as a grace in your own life. I know in my personal life, in the studying and in the preparation uh, for these uh, Psalms, uh, they've just been a steady stream, uh, just like a bubbling brook, if you will, uh, in my own life, a source of encouragement. Uh, but this way, uh, week, we're going to step away. We're going to look into uh, the New Testament. We're going to look at uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's begin in verse 23. Remember, this is God's word for us. This is the very words of God. We, we always have to keep that in mind when we come to the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. 
I just want to apologize first thing this morning is, is I'm not going to be able to do this text justice. There is so much contained in here that I wished I could unpack for you. And so we're going to do our best to dive in and to dig, but there is just so much more uh, that I'm just not going to have time for this morning. There's just so much I want to say, so much I want to impart to you concerning this blessed ordinance of the Lord's Supper. I once was invited to preach at a worship conference. Uh, I usually go to more revival or evangelistic type conferences, but I was asked to speak at a worship conference, and, and the, uh, the host church there had assigned each speaker a topic, and the topic I was assigned was the Lord's Supper. And so out of the studying and the preparation for uh, this conference uh, sermon, it really led to a five-week series on the Lord's Supper at the church where I was the pastor. I was a preaching elder, a senior pastor, and as I preached uh, for five weeks on the different aspects, on the different truths concerning the Lord's Supper, it really brought such uh, community, it brought stability, it brought growth in our personal lives, but in the, the church as a whole. Uh, and so um, I just have so much that is here, but do not fret. I'm not going to attempt to preach all five sermons on this Sunday. Uh, I'm not going to even preach, uh, re-preach the conference uh, sermon to you this morning. But we have so much to cover. There's so much to be said. There's so much to be taught. There's so much to be preached that I'll be able to do this morning. Uh, but there is just a lot here. And so as an expositor, one who exposits, explains the word, I, I really just want to go verse by verse, word by word. But we can't do that this morning. So we're going to take big chunks. We'll still exposit, but we're not going to be able to break it down word by word. So let's set the context. The Apostle Paul, he was inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to write this book. He wrote it to the church at Corinth. So that area, that city, that region of Corinth, thus the name, the book, or the first book of Corinthians. And so let's look again at verse 23. Paul says this to the church, ultimately to Christians. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also received to, uh, that I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, took bread. So here we have right here that this ordinance was given by Jesus himself on the night that he was betrayed. And it is now given to us. It is given for us. And this ordinance, the Lord's Supper, that we're going to take a little here later this morning, it has been passed down from the ages. It has been passed down from the halls of history. It has this great heritage, this great lineage, if you will, from Jesus giving it to us on the night that he was betrayed. It has been handed down to this very day in December 2021. Our Savior has even attached his name to it. We call it the Lord's Supper. And we are to have a high view, church, a high view of the Lord's Supper, where we could say the Lord's table. There's so much groundwork that needs to be laid. Uh, we Christians, or we could even say particularly us Baptists, we, uh, we refer to the Lord's Supper normally as an ordinance. Uh, Jesus gave the church two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So why is the Lord's Supper called an ordinance? We say that we're going to observe the ordinance, we're going to celebrate the ordinance, but why is it called an ordinance? Well, that word stresses its formal and important place in the life of the church. Something Jesus told us to observe with other Christians. So it was instituted, it was given to us by Jesus, it was taught by the apostles, and it has been practiced all the way through the early church until now. And so, by definition, an ordinance is a religious ceremony or a rite that is ordained by God 
and it is given for us to observe, to take part in. So as you'll see in our slide, there's, there's a lot of different uh, uh, words that we could use for the Lord's Supper. There's three or four more, but we don't have time for that. So this morning, as you'll see on the slide, it's often called the Lord's Supper. You find that in 1 Corinthians 11. Then you find it is also called communion. Maybe you grew up calling it, we're going to partake or celebrate communion. And we're, uh, we'll see where that word comes from, communion. And then lastly, occasionally you may hear it referred to as the cup of the Lord, or the table of the Lord, or simply the Lord's table. And we see that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So the Lord's Supper, it comes from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, 20, as our slide says, and Paul calls it such. And that's the only time, it's the only time in the entire Bible that it is called the Lord's Supper. But it is right, it is accurate, it is true to call it the Lord's Supper. And then we have the word communion. You'll notice there that it has King James Version beside it. And the reason is that is because that Greek word, many of us, even if you don't know Greek, we have heard that word at least once, koinonia. And that word koinonia means sharing in or a participation in. Our modern text says sharing in. The King James Version says communion. We understand that. And so it's this participation, this close relationship. It's translated communion in the King James Version. And it's very uh, important for us to remember that we are either sharing in or we having communion with both Christ and with each other, the church, when we take communion. So we have the Lord's Supper, we have the word communion, and then we have the Lord's cup or the Lord's table. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 10. And all three of these terms are appropriate. Uh, They can all be used interchangeably. And they're all describing what we will partake in later, the, the, the fruit of the vine and the bread, the cup and the bread. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, why do so many churches not see the Lord's Supper as important? Uh, being a pastor for several years, I would have people come up to me and say, I grew up and we never took the Lord's Supper at church. Or we only took it very, very rarely. I can only remember maybe once or twice. And And so, why don't we see this as important? Why don't we see this as a commandment? Why do we not see the theology and the significance of it? And then we need to ask ourselves personally, do we get any assurance or any comfort from the Lord's Supper? Has our soul been strengthened by observing the Lord's Supper? And so we think back to the martyrs of of the faith. We think back to the Protestant Reformation and even uh, the reign under Bloody Mary um, when there were people like John Rogers and Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, all these martyrs, they were burned to death over holding to the truths of the Bible concerning the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is very, very divisive. Jonathan Edwards, that great mind, that great Puritan, a genius, just a wonderful man of God, Jonathan Edwards was fired. Could you imagine firing Jonathan Edwards as your pastor. They fired Jonathan Edwards because of his position on the Lord's Supper. And it caused a rift in his church. And like typical churches that have rifts, they said, you're fired, you're not our pastor, but you're a good preacher and we can't find anyone else, so you can preach here, but you're not our pastor. And so he continued to preach there for years, but he was not their pastor. (laughs) But it's divisive. It is. And so during uh, during the Protestant Reformation, as Dr. Ivy took us through those five truths, those five solas that came out of that, there were more articles, there were more letters, there were more books wrote on the issue of the Lord's Supper than there were articles, books, or letters wrote on justification by faith. We think of that Protestant Reformation of justification by faith, and that is true, but 
the Lord's Supper was much more important during that time. Why is it not more important in our own time? The Lord's Supper is very important. You know, and then some will say, well, you know, the Lord's Supper, it's not really a matter of salvation. You know, it's just a difference of opinion. Well, that's not necessarily true. If you are putting your faith in any amount, in any amount that the Lord's Supper to some degree saves you, well, then you're putting your faith in something else besides Jesus Christ. And that does become a gospel issue. So we have to be very clear this morning. The Lord's Supper is not a means of salvation. What that means is the Lord's Supper in and of itself does not save you. But we also know like the word of God preached and taught and studied in prayer. That's a grace to us, not a saving grace, but a, a grace that sanctifies us, that nurtures us, that builds us up, that strengthens us. It does bring that type of grace into our lives as we observe what the Lord has commanded us to do. And so there's so many wrong teachings, and we can't go into all those this morning, but there's wrong teachings like it's a re-sacrificing of the body of Christ, but we know that Jesus Christ has died once and for all for the sins never to be crucified again. There's wrong teaching that there's some type of saving power in the Lord's Supper, that somehow the Lord's Supper will save you, and that you can gain a, a little bit of righteousness in it. Those, again, are both terribly wrong, and I don't have time to go into all of that. But let's look at our slide. The Lord's Supper is from the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. I received it from the Lord. Paul received this ordinance by direct revelation from the Lord. Paul wasn't taught this by some man. But Jesus Christ himself has given Paul this ordinance. It's not an invention of man, but it has the seal of God on it. And it should be taken very seriously, church. We should take it with thanks. We should take it with joy. But we should be ever mindful that it is from God. And just as all things that are given from God is ultimately for our good. Our next slide, we see that the Lord's Supper is for you. For you, the Christian believer. Look again at verse 23. I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you. Think of that for just a moment, dearly beloved of God. This Lord's Supper is for you. It is a gift from God to you. It has been faithfully received from the Lord, and it has been faithfully given to us. It is from God, and it is for you. He says, this is my body for you. And what should our response be? He has done this great thing. And we will worship him. We will worship him in this meal. This supper is really for you, Christian. He's given it to you. This is a gift from God, from the Lord Jesus himself. He has given you this gift, and it should not be treated lightly. This meal, listen closely, it's not just for the mature Christian, the one who has a strong walk in the Christian faith. But if you are here this morning, and you struggle with sin, and you struggle with temptation, but you've examined your heart this morning, you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You really love Jesus. He is your Savior. You have committed yourself to Him. Then, though you are so imperfect, listen closely. The Lord's Supper is still for you. And it's not to be treated lightly. It's not just a gift to some of God's people, you know, the super Christians, 
but it's a gift to all of God's people that have trusted in Jesus. So if you've been a Christian for decades and, and you've defeated much sin and you have this strong walk with God, guess what? The Lord's Supper, it's for you. And if you're a brand new Christian and you are still learning so much about this Christian faith, guess what? The Lord's Supper is for you too. And so we have to think of this. There's two places where the ground is even. There's, there's two places where the ground is level. And one is at the foot of the cross. It don't matter rich, poor, black, white, young, old. If you will come to Jesus, he will save you. And the second place that, the, that everything is even, the ground is level, is at the Lord's table. If you are a Christian, you're commanded to eat. Look at our next slide. And when he had taken a cup from Matthew 26, 27, speaking of Jesus, and when he had taken a cup and he had given thanks, he, Jesus, gave it to them and he says, drink from it, all of you. All of you. All of you who are born again believers are to take the bread and are to take the cup. Listen closely. If you are a Christian and you are following after Jesus, though you are imperfect and though you sin and though temptation has always seemed to be whispering in your ear, guess what? This meal is for you. It is for all of you. So brothers and sisters, the Lord's table is for you who have been forgiven of your sins. And so Jesus, he has given us this sacred tradition. He's given us this ordinance. He's given it to the church. And I don't want you to think this morning, I do not want you to think that you can only partake of the Lord's table if you're perfect. You cannot come perfect to the Lord's table. Jesus alone is your perfection. So you're invited when we take the cup and the bread, you're invited to come broken, but hopeful. You're invited to come believing, yet repenting. So the Lord's Supper, it does not bring us into a relationship with God, but it reminds us that we are in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Our next slide says the Lord's Supper is a memorial of Christ's death. It's a memorial of Christ's death. Look at the end of verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper, it points us back to the sacrifice of the Lord himself. It is a memorial of the death of Christ. It, it benefits believers by, by growing us spiritually, nourishing our faith in Jesus. It causes us to remember, to look back on him. And so in verse 23 and 24, this memorial supper is for us. It was God given to us. The Lord's Supper did not originate with man, but it was directly instituted by Jesus Christ. It has been handed down to us. Look at verse 25. In the same way, Jesus, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We are in the new covenant. We don't have a sacrificial system. We are not under the old covenant. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Every year as the people would bring their sacrifices, what does Hebrews teach us? It says the blood of bull and goats will never wash away sins. There was no earthly sacrifice that could wash away a single sin. The people were only reminded that they were sinners. The people were only reminded that they were looking for that final, perfect Lamb of God. The one that John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And so just as we are saved by looking back to the Savior that has come, they were saved looking forward to a Savior that has come. And now Jesus has died. The Lamb of God has come. He has shed his blood, and he has ushered in that new covenant. Jesus has instituted the new covenant. And yet we do this Lord's Supper in remembrance. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are continually reminding ourselves and those around us that Jesus gave his life, that he shed his blood for all that believe. Think about this. The one thing that Jesus commanded us to do, the, the thing to do in remembrance of him, it referred to his death. He could have chose anything. But he says, no, the one thing you're to do in remembrance of me is in reference to my death. And so that really shows us the, the focus and the centrality of the cross. Jesus died for us. Personal question, do you, do you personally believe that Jesus died for you? And so we need to be reminded that Christ's body was afflicted. It was impaled with cross, uh, uh, upon the cross with nails, and he poured out his blood. He, he gave his very life that we should live. We are a sinful people. We're, we're self-absorbed, we're proud, we're lustful, we're angry, we're dishonest, we're arrogant, we're a hateful people at times. We need someone to save us from ourselves. We need someone to rescue us. We need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. The Lord's Supper calls to our memory what God has done for us. It draws us closer to him in worship. It draws us closer to him in love and in thankfulness and in praise to him. Do this in remembrance of me. Our focus is to be on Christ. And I fear this, church. I fear that communion is not viewed as highly as it ought to be. I fear there is an element of worship missing when we take the Lord's Supper. Because guess what we've done? We have set our eyes too low. We have become so introspective. We've looked so much at our own selves, God forbid, that we've set the bar so low. And there's definitely an element of self-inspection. There's definitely a time of reflection. There, there for sure is an aspect of examination, and we'll get to that. But I fear too many of us have turned the Lord's Supper into a time of focusing completely on ourselves. Brothers and sisters, newsflash. The Lord's Supper is not about you. This meal is about Christ Jesus the risen, the sovereign, the mighty Lord. And it's about what he has done for poor and meager and weak and filthy sinners like me and like you. Christ Jesus is the theme. He's the main character. He's the savior. He is the savior of the world. He's the hero of the story. Oh, we need to behold our God. And each time the church gathers to observe the Lord's Supper in worship, we need to remember the body and the blood of Christ. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Consider, think on this. The Son of God betrayed by a friend. Accused of blasphemy. Beaten beyond recognition. Publicly humiliated. Hung naked upon a cross. Nailed to that cross. Hanging there in reproach. Think of the pain and the sorrow he felt. Consider that crushing weight of the sins of all of his people being laid upon him. And then God's holy wrath poured out on Jesus 
for our sins. Jesus was paying our sin debt, our own personal sins, each and every one of them. Every single sin was nailed to the cross of Christ, and it was paid in full. We think of that song, It Is Well With My Soul, and that famous line, My sin, not in part, but the whole. It was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He didn't die for a little bit of your sins, some of your sins, or most of your sins. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, he paid for all your sins. And this should humble us, and it should also bring a great sorrow to our hearts as we think, as we remember his death. And yet we call taking the Lord's a celebration. I may even say that this morning. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's good, it's right, it's true to say that. So how can the scene of a dying Savior bring us to this place of joy and celebration? You know, maybe we would say sorrow and, and somberness, but how can we have joy and, and peace as we remember his death? I'll tell you how. By knowing the worth, the value, the significance in Christ's death. By him dying on the cross and bearing the sins of all who will believe, Jesus satisfied the Father's wrath. Jesus paid our sin debt in full. Our slide says the Lord's Supper is a celebration. We celebrate at the Lord's table as we consider the victory that has been secured by Jesus. Not one single sin will be held to our account. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every single sin was nailed to the cross of Christ, and the debt was paid in full. Our next slide says the Lord's Supper is a proclamation. Look at verse 26 with me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every single time you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ's death until he comes. Have we stopped and thought about that? Have we realized that when we are eating and we are drinking this supper that is for us, that is from God, that has been faithfully delivered to us, not only is it remembrance of Christ, not only are you partaking in communion with Christ and with each other, but you're doing something else and sharing the Lord's table. You're making a proclamation you are proclaiming the lord's death and it's not only a proclamation of his death but you're proclaiming his death what does the bible say until he comes it's not just that christ has died but that he has also risen from the dead and he's the lord of all victory and he will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the king of kings and that he is the lord of lords it's true one day he will return in power and he will return in glory but until then, what are we to do, church? We are to proclaim his death through the supper until he comes. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the Lord's death. To proclaim is to make a public announcement, to declare to others what is considered important. And yet we think, well, you know, the Lord's Supper, it's not usually uh, loud or noisy, but yet we really are proclaiming truth when we take it. We're proclaiming it quietly, we're proclaiming it confidently, uh, joyfully, we're proclaiming it openly. We're making this proclamation to both God and to each other and to the whole watching world. 
the supper. It proclaims the, go- uh, the gospel physically, and we see it visibly, but we don't take communion alone. It's given to the church, and it's to be done on display. It's to be done as a proclamation. We don't say, all right, everybody grab your cup, go hide in the basement, turn the lights off, and hurry up, take it real fast so nobody can see. No, it's this highly visible proclamation. It's okay to look around as you take it, and you are reminding others, and others are reminding you too. The supper proclaims the gospel. So the Lord's death should not only be remembered through the Lord's Supper, it must also be proclaimed through the Lord's Supper. And as we're proclaiming it, we're reminding each other. And then our next slide says the Lord's Supper anticipates Jesus' return. There's this anticipation. Read verse 26 with me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in the Lord's Supper, we're not only proclaiming the Lord's death, but we're also anticipating his return. We're waiting for him to get back. The Lord's Supper, it points us forward to the second coming of Christ. It brings worship from us because we know that our eternal, faithful Savior, he's going to return for his people. You know, it's hard to tell someone that you love. It's hard to tell them goodbye. But you know, it's, it's even harder when you know that you won't see them again. I have a friend He's a missionary. His name is Daniel Kearney. And he is a uh, missionary in India and some other parts like Pakistan. And that man has been strangled. He has been beat by pipes. He's been attacked by um, extreme Muslims and Hindus. And, and that man is just a warrior for the Lord. And uh, he had married an Indian woman in India. And they had, at this time, when they visited with me, I think four or five kids. I think now they have six. And she had never been to the States. His children had never been to the States. Uh, his mother lives here in New York. And so he wanted to come and let his mother see the grandchildren and to let his wife experience America. And that's a whole, whole other story for another day, just, just how much they've done without over there. But Daniel has been nearly strangled and beaten within, I mean, inches of his life. No exaggeration. And when he came a couple years ago, they stayed in our home, him and his wife Anusha and their children. I knew for me, I probably would never see Daniel again. I knew that this side of eternity, Daniel's probably going to be a martyr. Daniel's still alive, but I've not seen Daniel since. And so when, when he left Tennessee to, to go back to his home country, or at least his new home country, that goodbye was very hard because there was no, I'll see you again, at least not anytime soon. So it's hard to tell those that you love goodbye, but it's even harder when you know that you're not going to see them again. But you know what makes goodbyes just a little bit easier? It's when goodbyes are, I'll see you again. I'll see you soon. It won't be long. And that's what Jesus says. Look at our next slide. He says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He also says in Luke 22, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. 
And so we see these two passages, and it should be so encouraging to our hearts. Because Jesus is promising his disciples ultimately, he's promising you this morning, he's promising you right now, Christian, that we will be with him for his next supper. For the next communion that Jesus eats and drinks, we will be with him, and he will be with us when he eats again. And it will be when the kingdom of God is established in heaven and on earth for all time. And Jesus, he'll receive his church. And all the saints will say this, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And who is the bride? It's the church. And who is the church? It's Christians. It's believers of all those who are united by faith with Christ. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will eat the bread and we will drink the fruit of the vine when Jesus comes and we will feast with him in the house of Zion. Dearly beloved, when you come to the Lord's table, know that Jesus Christ himself has promised you that he will return. He's coming back and he'll eat with us again. We will feast with our Lord. How can we not worship him? So when we observe the Lord's Supper, we don't, we don't come mourning like it's a funeral, but we come in celebration of a marriage that is to come. How many of you have taken the Lord's Supper with that in mind? The Supper reminds us that we derive our very life from the death of our Lord, but we also look forward to our new destiny in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we eat in remembrance of him, but we also celebrate that he's coming again, and we'll eat with him again. And he will gather us all together, all the saints of all time, to eat this feast. And we'll be, we'll be seated with him at the table. Think of that. To sit with someone at the table, that, that's really an act of peace. We're not his enemies. But Jesus' blood has washed away all of our sins. God's wrath has been satisfied. The debt has been paid. Christ's righteousness has been given. It's been put on our account. It's been imputed, credited to us. We've been declared not guilty, and now we've been credited as blameless and accepted in Jesus. And it's through Jesus' finished work that we're brought near to God. We're accepted. We're adopted. We are brought in and loved into the family of God. But if you're an unbeliever here this morning, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I must warn you, that if you continue to reject Jesus, then the only thing that you will taste when he returns, you will taste that great wine press of his wrath as, as he tramples you under the weight of his judgment, as he crushes you under the curse of sin. But, but turn to Jesus today. Turn to Jesus today and live. He is the vine that gives life to all the branches to all who come to him in faith, to all who love and obey him. Matthew 8, 11, Jesus says that many will come from the east and from the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's people will come from everywhere and we will feast together. The redeemed of all the ages, taking the Lord's Supper, it shows our sure hope that Jesus is coming back. Our next slide says the Lord's Supper is only for those trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. Who should take the Lord's Supper? This ordinance is given to the church and it is therefore only to be received by believers. So when should you not take communion? Listen closely. 
If you're refusing to give up sin in your life, if you're refusing to follow Jesus, you should not take the Lord's Supper. You are to refrain from taking communion unless, unless you yourself have turned from your sins and you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And listen to this, Christian. Regardless of the distresses, of the troubles, of the discouragements that you may have felt this week, maybe you even felt this morning, I want to encourage you to participate in the Lord's Supper. And we need to remember this. We need to remember the past, the present, and the future aspect of your salvation. And that's accomplished by Jesus. So we can do nothing to earn forgiveness. It's Christ's finished work. Jesus' body was broken for us. His death has brought us life. The, the supper doesn't justify us. It doesn't redeem us. We come to the Lord's table as someone that has been saved, not so we can be saved. We're not more justified. We're not more saved. We're not more regenerated. The meal does not save you. These elements that we're going to partake of, they don't become physically the flesh and blood of Jesus. This isn't a new reincarnation. This is not a new sacrifice. We don't even worship the bread and the cup. We don't take the Lord's Supper to keep being saved. We come because we are kept by Him. And we remind ourselves that if we have been saved by His blood, then we'll never be lost. We can't be lost if we have been saved by Him. We are better than no one else in this world. We are just beggars that have eaten of the bread of life. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we're to come humble, yet happy, because we know that God blesses those who commune with him. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember what Christ has done for us. It's also a celebration of what we receive because of Jesus' death for us. And it's also a proclamation because we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And it nourishes our soul. It strengthens us. And it displays, it shows the gospel. Our next slide says the Lord's Supper causes us to examine ourselves. The Lord's Supper brings discipline and judgment for those who take it in an unworthy manner. And it brings blessing to those who take it in faith. Look at verses 27 continuing. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. We'll stop there. We are to examine and to judge ourselves. So we need to notice something, though. We have to pay very close atten uh, our attention to what Scripture has to say. It's very important. Scripture says, who eats or drinks in an unworthy manner. The Word of God does not say who eats without being worthy. It's who takes in an unworthy manner. Not who is worthy. No one is worthy. That's the whole point. You may think, well, I'm not worthy. Good. None of us are worthy. Our worth is in Christ. So, so taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, it means to not judge ourselves rightly. 
And some have just totally misunderstood this text, and, and they make it say something like this. If you haven't done fill in the blank, then you can't take the supper. So you would say, well, if I got upset this morning, I, I just can't take the Lord's Supper. Uh, I, I didn't read my Bible every single morning this week, so I, I just can't take the Lord's Supper. And so we've, we've created some litmus test that's not there. And this text has been misused that if you fail your own test, you know, you just, just create a test in your mind, whatever feels good to you. And then you don't pass that test, well, then you're supposed to self-excommunicate yourself and not take the Lord's Supper. At time, the Lord's Supper, it has been treated as this overly introspective and almost depressing act. Remember, we've, we've had a very low view of the Lord's Supper. And it's almost like people are encouraged to focus so much on their own sin that the message, the picture, the joy of salvation is nowhere to be found. Some Christians will decide, you know, I'm just not going to participate in the Lord's Supper this Sunday because you know what? I've just messed up too badly. And so the Lord's table's open, the invitation is made, but some think, well, ah, maybe I just shouldn't take it this week because... You know, I sinned, and I'm just not perfect, and I'm not worthy, and, you know, I, j I just blew it this week. I, I better not do it. But look at verse 28. But a man, but a woman, but a human, someone, a Christian, but a man must examine himself. Okay, good. Examine ourselves, test ourselves. And in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Hmm. That's one of the most beautiful things about the Lord's Supper. Our slide says Christians are expected to take the Lord's Supper. One of the most beautiful things about the Lord's Supper is you, Christian, you're expected to take it. So where it says, don't take it in an unworthy manner, what does that imply? Then do take it in a worthy manner. Self-examination is demanded of God's children. But this examination must accomplish its goal. It must accomplish its purpose, and that is repentance. That is unity. And then that leads to us observing the Lord's Supper, to not self-excommunicate ourselves. So, Christian, you are to examine yourself. You are to judge yourself rightly. And in so doing, you are to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper on our next slide, demands examination. That's true. Introspection, that's true. Weighing ourselves, judging ourselves, that is true. But it also demands restoration. The Lord's Supper demands examination and restoration rather than excommunication. And it demands this immediate repentance. Immediate repentance is respected rather than a delayed response. The devil the devil, the accuser of the brethren. We can expect him to remind us of our past sins. And that should never be an excuse for us to self-excommunicate ourselves from the table. The devil, he delights in dividing the church from worshiping at the Lord's table. If you feel unworthy, if you feel inadequate to observe the Lord's Supper, that's normal. It's one of the goals that's intended in this ordinance. If you feel worthy, if you feel that you're adequate in your own good works, well, you don't need to take it. 
But we approach the Lord through the Lord's Supper as an unworthy sinner who is clinging to Jesus alone as our only hope right now and forever. So the observance of the Lord's Supper should be joyful, but not before it exposes sin in our own life. I said in examining ourselves, it should lead to immediate repentance. We examine ourselves, Lord, reveal any sin that has had a hold of my life, any sin that I'm not willing to repent of. Lord, reveal it to me now. Lord, may I make it right with those around me if they're here. But Lord, that's not who I am. Forgive me, Lord. Immediate repentance. Lord, you are right and I am wrong. It is sin and I repent of it. And oh Lord, your son Christ is my only hope. The observance of the Lord's Supper should be joyful, yet it exposes sin. And in exposing sin, it brings us to trust Christ more. Remember this, repentance, repentance always comes before joy. Always comes before joy. We're we're never worthy in ourselves. The only way to be worthy before God is to give him all. To give him all of our sins, all of our pride, all of our apathy, all of our self-centeredness, all of our vileness, our wickedness, just just to throw it down before him, trusting in his mercy that we are counted worthy in Christ alone. We confess and we agree we are unworthy, knowing he is the only one that can make us worthy. So to, to make yourself worthy to eat the Lord's Supper, it, it means to make sure your faith is really in Jesus. To, to make sure that you're really hidden in Christ. That you're not holding on to sin. That you're, that you're at peace with your brothers and your sisters in Christ. God's grace is for sinners. It's, it's not for those self-righteous people. It's for the weak and not the strong. It's for bad people, not good people. The Lord's Supper is not for perfect people, but for weak and feeble sinners who have given everything to Jesus Christ. So every time we observe the Lord's Supper, God himself, is, he's giving you one more precious opportunity for repentance and restoration. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we examine ourselves, we judge ourselves. And when we're convicted of this sin, it's another sweet gift of God to say, repent of that sin. Turn from that sin. Give it to me and quit clinging and letting it have control over you and seek my forgiveness. And it's another precious opportunity for restoration. And so we come to the Lord's Supper and we look upward. We examine our relationship with God. Are we in communion with him? Is there some separation between us because of sin? And then not only do we look upward as we examine ourselves, we then look outward. Do we find any division in between us, fellow brothers and sisters? Is there anyone in here that I've been backbiting? Is there anyone in here I'm holding a grudge against? Is there anyone in here that I am angry with? Oh, it's a precious opportunity from the Lord for you to go and make it right with them. And so we look upward, we look outward, and then as we examine ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper, we look inward. Do we find that there's unconfessed sin in our lives? Are there idols in our hearts? Are there private sins that we have hidden from the public? This observance of the Lord's Supper, it is, it is so simple that a believing child can partake. And yet it is so rich. There's so much more I wish I could teach you that even the most mature believers 
will not fully comprehend its meaning. When we take this supper, we should recommit ourselves. We should remind ourselves that Jesus, he's our strength. He's our sustenance. By his death, he has brought us life. And as we approach the Lord's Supper with with tears of sorrow, we got smiles of joy. And when we're going to do this, we're going to do this until he returns. And so I must warn you that if you're not a Christian, as kindly and as lovingly as I can tell you, if you're not a Christian, the Lord's table is not for you. But it is a great reminder of what Jesus has done on the cross for your sins if you'll believe him. And so if you're not a Christian, you may not be able to partake today. But my prayer is that the next time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, that you'll be eating it with us. That you'll be someone who has been saved by God through faith in Jesus. And so if you're an unbeliever this morning, Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. He is not your Savior. I I invite you to do more than just simply watch us. But I encourage you to consider what's taking place in this meal. And I do, and I have prayed. I truly have prayed that the next time that you find yourself in this situation, that you would be among those who have recognized your need for a Savior, and you have put your faith in Jesus. And church, Christian believer, we must remember our precious sacrifice, Jesus. And we must tremble, tremble at the thought of ever forgetting him. So as we close our slide from Spurgeon says this, he says, I think the moments that we are nearest to heaven are those we spend at the Lord's table. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. So I just want to give you a moment to reflect, to examine yourself, and in so doing, examining yourself, that you then as a Christian make things right with God, make things right with others, and that you do participate in the Lord's Supper. So now, ask the Lord to search our hearts. Let's pray. I'll close this in prayer. God, we we have had so much so fast from your word this morning. Lord, you are so big and knowledgeable and powerful and infinitely wise. Lord, we have not even scratched the surface of who you are. But your word, O oh God, has given us these truths that are to be observed by your church. And so, Holy Spirit, would you examine our motives, our minds, our hearts, our desires? Search us, O oh God, 
and see if there be any wicked way in us. And oh God, by your great mercy, would you, would you grant us repentance? And may we rest in what Jesus has really done for us. That our sins have been forgiven in Christ alone. In whose name, the name above all names, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. If you look again at verse 23, is you take the cup and the bread in your hand, simply peel back that top layer and it exposes the bread. And if you'll take the bread. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, and in the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have been so good to us. May we proclaim you faithfully until you come again for your people. And Lord, my prayer Oh, my heart's prayer is for those that do not know you, they would know you as Savior. Oh, strengthen us. Strengthen our soul. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our trust in you, Lord. Oh, we remember you. Oh, may you always be on our minds, in our hearts, on our lips. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.